taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole world, and their words to the ends of the world. This is the Word of God. Well, taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics. While taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and I'm back, Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Uh, we should have well, had the uh, song, uh, Back in the Saddle Again. <laughs> That'd have been all right. Yeah, so we want to just welcome everybody aboard, and, and uh, want to we want to take a little bit of time here, take... Take a few minutes and uh, uh, thank our vets. Um, it is Veterans Day, and um, and we just want to thank thank each and every one of the vets out there um, for their service, for their time, for their families' worry, for everything that um, that they have to deal with and go through. Um, we just thank you for that sacrifice for America, keeping us free. Uh, we just thank you. As they say, so, freedom freedom isn't free. It takes someone to toe the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like we're going to jump right into, uh, on the podcast here, jump right into natural theology. Yeah. And uh, As, as a little bit of a so- backdrop, if I can, uh, we, we had a viewer or actually a listener to our podcast and, and a person who, uh, who continued, her name is Joy, and she lives up in Michigan. I want to give a shout out to her. And uh, while we were, uh, while I was talking about some uh, things in the in the previous class I had on natural theology, she asked me to either write an article or for us to have a podcast on on the issue of natural theology and asking right. what is this thing right. we, we call natural theology. Right. Yeah. And so with that, I mean it's it's going to cover a pretty it's going to cover a pretty broad spectrum of what we're what we're talking about when we talk about natural theology. Um, and, and it's and it's one of I don't know. It's one of the topics that I really enjoy uh, discussing and talking about, and things that always just keep you um, in awe and in wonder. So, I think we should just go ahead and get rolling on it. Sounds good. All right. So, um, I guess let's start out, Brian. What is natural theology? Let's figure out that. Yeah, that's a good question. So, the f- first thing, natural theology. Is, is different from another realm of, uh, or even natural revelation, sometimes it's called that. It, it's, it's distinguished from what we call special revelation. And uh-huh. so natural theology is what, um, is what nature can tell us about God and, and His works. Um, so in other words, it, it's, it's, it's something that, that will tell us uh, what we see from what Thomas Aquinas would say, a posteriori, or after the fact, uh, as opposed to a priori, uh, something coming before the fact that this is coming after. So these are effects that we see of God 
uh, in creation. Mm-hmm. And and so as you're talking about the effects, we're talking about all the way from the from the micro um, all the way up to the vast expanse of the universe. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So what we see in nature um, as a flower budding and blooming um, and uh, the, the natural process that that takes, um, we, we can recognize that, that God has a part in that or it's pointing to God, right? Exactly. And I, I was looking for, um, let me see if I can find this right quick. Um, Thomas Aquinas, he, he's going to give the answer of, to uh, natural theology, uh, stating that, and, and let me see if I can pull this up here, um, that from every, and, and here this is from the Summa Theologica, he says, um, going back to what we were talking about a priori and a posteriori, he says one is the cause and the other, and it's called, a priori, and this is to argue from what is prior absolutely. The other is through the effect and is called a demonstration a posteriori. This is to argue from what is prior relatively only to us when an effect is better known to us than its cause. From the effect we proceed to, to the knowledge of the cause, and from every effect the existence of its proper cause can be demonstrated, so long as its effects are better known to us, because since every effect depends upon its cause, if the effect exists, the cause must pre-exist. Hence, the existence of God, insofar as it is not self-evident to us, can be demonstrated from those of his effects which are known to us. And so this is what natural theology tells us, the effects of God's previous causal activities. So you mean to, to kind of bring this into a little bit more perspective here, um, the things that God put into uh, motion um, point back to him just in the natural observation of how the process or how how something is. Now, can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. So, seeing the natural process, that's something God put into play for for us to be able to recognize His hand in the in the process. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so in other words, I, I kind of think of it as like. Uh, if, if you were to eat a bowl of cereal in the morning, um, you, you, you can see, and say a bowl of cereal is left behind. So you see the bowl, and you have left leftover milk left in there. You see a spoon in it, and you see maybe a few crumbs of whatever the cereal is that was eaten. From that, you see the, co- the effects of a previous cause, that is that someone ate breakfast. Uh, we can see that someone ate a bowl of cereal, and from the timing, we can say it was breakfast from when it was left, and we can, you know, follow the trail. It's kind of like what you would find in, in uh, you know, like a cold case investigation or detectives, where right. they're they're looking for uh, uh, the effects of a crime. They're looking for that they're trying to pinpoint who the cause of that crime is. 
Well, exactly. like, in like manner, uh, what Aquinas is arguing is that we can do the same thing of God looking at the effects of creation uh, back to the causal agent, which is what he's going to call the prime mover, the uncaused cause, that that person being God. Right. And everything everything goes after its own cause and kind. Uh, so, so like, you know, uh, you know, an acorn, etc. you know, so you see, um, you know, when you, like I wrote in our article, um, when you, when you breed a certain animal, you're not expecting to get completely different, uh, end of the spectrum animal. You're expecting what you, uh, put into that thing. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that shows a commonality that shows a, that shows an intelligence even behind. So that would that would be part of what Aquinas would call a teleological argument, uh, showing that things move to a, a common cause. Uh, they move from a common perspective. And so this is this shows elements of design in creation. Um, mm-hmm. There's a structure behind it. And so right. this is the basis even behind behind apologetics, is that right. we're showing rationally um, what can be demonstrated now? Here, here's the thing, though. Uh, there are some theologians. Of course, you can't have anything in theology without a good old-fashioned debate about it. And so, uh, you do find that there are some scholars, for instance, such as Karl Barth, who contend against natural theology. And this is going to come down to the aspect of can God be known from the senses? And so, Karl Barth, who is a hardcore Calvinist, is going to say that we can't know anything about God. We can't even know that God exists unless God reveals that point to us. Now, Emil Bruner, who is also a Reformed guy, um, and and when we say Reformed, I I agree with David Baggett. We're we're talking about anyone who came from the Reformation, so that doesn't necessarily even mean that you have to be Calvinistic to be Reformed. But um, Bruner probably have ten, had tendencies from what I've read of him that would make him more Calvinistic even in that regard. He says that the Reformers, even such as Calvin and Luther, th- were both open to natural theology. And you know what? He's right. Uh, Bruner's right about that. If you read the Institutes by John Calvin, Calvin himself doesn't agree with what Calvinists say oftentimes because he was even open to uh, natural theology, but he said that a person could not be saved without that special revelation. And he would even go so far to say that this natural theology is part of God's revelation uh, to humanity. So I think if we see the fact that God has left traits of himself in, uh, and that is effects pointing back to his causal existence. Then yes, I, I think Calvin is actually right on that. Uh, that that even our cognizant cogn- uh, cogent abilities to uh, uh, to rationalize and know cer- these certain things actually themselves emanate from God's self-disclosed revelation in nature itself. Well, you just kind of go with just human response to when they when they see something uh, of beauty uh you know we don't have turnout sites on the highway for the garbage dump exactly you know we 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 look at um things of beauty and and we're in awe and wonder and what are we in awe and wonder of um so i i guess i'd kind of push back a little bit on on a little bit of the 
Carl Barth there. Yeah, and Carl Barth, give him his due. He's he's an excellent theologian, uh, and he's he's got a lot of great points in his works. But yeah, he is very hypercritical of of any type of rationality when it comes to God, and so he's very critical because of that he's very critical of Thomas Aquinas. And I found that Aquinas is accused of things that Aquinas does not even himself agree. Uh, so that's why I tell everyone, when you're talking about theology, and when you're talking about these guys, go back and read the primary works. Read what the guys themselves said, because I have found more times than not that people are misunderstanding what these theologians are saying, and more wow. times than not they're putting words in the, in the mouths of these theologians, that ideas in the mouths of these theologians that they never themselves uh believed so hearsay per se exactly uh, yeah that's yeah. it exactly yeah well the second question how is natural theology distinguished from the special revelation so yeah, that, that's that's a good question too and let, let me just before we before we move on further too deep with number two let, let me just say that there is scriptural rev- uh, evidence to back up the notion of natural right. theology, the verse we read at the outside of the outset of the podcast is one of them. Psalm nineteen uh-huh. says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." That's one right. of them. Romans chapter one is is another good one, uh, where Paul. Uh, I won't read the entire chapter, but uh, he he basically says that um, uh, verse twenty. Well, let's go back to verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness, uh, godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God, catch this, is evident among them because uh-huh. God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Paul actually agrees with Aquinas, or rather Aquinas agrees with Paul in this regard. And then if you go to Acts 17, where Paul is given his uh, address to the Athenians at the Areopagus, he Uh says these words. Uh, He talks about God doesn't need a temple uh, in which to live. Um, He talks about, uh, uh, let's see here, uh, it talks about uh, the God who made the world and everything in it. Um, yeah, the God who made the world, everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Does not live in shrines made by hands, nor is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. And so uh, he even says that they worship God unbeknownst to them by setting up an altar to the unknown God. He even goes forth to, uh, in verse uh, 31, to say that he has set a day that he's going to judge uh, the world and uh, righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So even the resurrection, there's some natural theology that can be used to illustrate the fact that Jesus himself rose from the dead. So there are things in nature and in rationality that point to the existence of God. Now... The question is, how does this distinguish from special revelation? Natural revelation, or natural theology, 
are those things that can be known about God through the rationale looking at the effects of God in creation. Special revelation is more of a direct form of revelation. It's where God himself communicates to uh, humanity uh, through, through various means of uh, direct communication. So, the, so what we could say is there's even like there are even two books. There's the book of nature and there's the, there's the book of Scripture. And so in the book of nature, we have this general revelation, the natural theology. In Scripture, we have the direct communication, special revelation from God. Right. I, I, you know, and I kind of think of it in, in the way of, of we have the, the revelation of God just through nature. And now I know there's going to be some that would push back on that and say, how can you know that there's a God um, just in nature? But we're going to we're going to go on the premise that, that we all are understanding that when we look at nature, we 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 see that there's a evidence of God around. Um, but but with that, we get the special revelation on actually how to operate within the natural revelation that we see. Absolutely. So, so we, and 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 we'll probably talk a little bit more about this as we go through the podcast. But one of the key distinctions is um, one of the key distinctions is, for instance, natural theology can tell us that a God exists, but it doesn't necessarily tell us who this God is. Uh, by using historical evidence, we can see that Jesus rose from the dead. I think there's good historical evidence to suggest that. But that doesn't mean that he's the Son of God. Or that doesn't even mean that uh, that that his resurrection was unique from someone who had a, a near-death experience. Now, it's a lot more dramatic because he was crucified. And, and personally, I think it would be more miraculous to say that he just rose by natural means. But but you could say some people have even made the point to say, uh, for instance, there's this one archaeologist who claims to have found the tomb of Jesus in Taupiat, uh, which is around India, and so his appeal is that Jesus rose from the dead. He was crucified. He rose from the dead, but afterwards, after the church was established, he basically retired and took a wife and had kids and moved down to India and was never heard from again. Now. <laughs> That, that's ludicrous. I mean, why would you send a church out and just basically say, "Hey, all right, guys, you know, go preach my word. I'm going to go take a siesta in uh, in India, and you guys do what you need to do." So you could do that. I mean, and so you could claim the resurrection happens and not hold to the divine nature of Jesus. Um, so, so natural revelation only takes us so far. For instance, let me say this. Um, and this kind of goes into our uh, our, our uh, one of our latter questions. For instance, another example here is that uh, Thomas Aquinas says later on. Now, now notice what he just said that we can see the effects of God uh, from His causal work in creation. But he goes on to say, and I want everyone to listen carefully to this because a lot of people make Thomas Aquinas out to say that he thinks that everything about God can be known by natural revelation. That's just not true. In his own words, in Summa Theologica, uh, section 1, question 32, 
A1 response, he writes, It is impossible to attain the knowledge of the Trinity by natural reason. So you can know that God exists, but to know that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, requires special revelation from God to know that very fact. So, um, hence why why whenever you go, um, so so when the gospel goes out and is preached to, you know. Um, you know, on missionary trips or to third world countries or to these um, tribes and places that have never seen it, they have an idea. They have they have a knowledge of God. They 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 can tell that there is something that is that is there. Um, it, but yet to have somebody explain to them what that is um, by by through the way of uh, special revelation. Um, that's that's really kind of what you see happen. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I think you're right, and I think that I mean I've, I was speaking with a lady this past week and asked her about her uh, status with the Lord, and you know if she went to church anywhere or she's you know a Christian, and, and and she gave the she gave the common answer that most people give. Uh, she said, "No, I don't go to church, but I believe in God." Okay, so I th- I think it's almost as if if Alvin Planick is right that that, that the belief in God is a warranted belief as evidenced by the in my opinion insurmountable evidence that exists that a creator does exist um i mean you have people from all around the world who believe in a divine being uh although the names may be different but i think that that shows as paul said that we're without excuse especially for believing that there is a divine being we we call god right yeah, and it took uh, Paul preaching at the Areopagus to pinpoint or to refine their to an unknown God down to explaining that this Jesus, this is the one that you guys have been pointing out. This is the one you guys have been uh, saying that there's there's something more. Exactly. So he's taking the natural theology that's already evident and he's bringing forth a special revelation by God, explaining to them who this God is. So they know that there is a God, or in their case, they believed in multiple gods, uh, which Deuteronomy tells us something interesting. I'm, I'm reading through uh, in, in what little spare time I have between writing my final paper and getting ready for research for my dissertation and taking German and all that good stuff. Uh I'm reading a book called by Michael Heiser called The Unknown Realm, or Unseen Realm, excuse me. Right. Very right. compelling book. And he talks yeah. about this divine council uh, right. of, of divine beings. Now, these divine beings are not God. Uh, mm-hmm. There's only one God. But these divine beings are created entities. And the book of Deuteronomy, he brings out, says that a lot of these fallen angelic beings, uh, which became demons, uh wanted people to worship them and so a lot of these the, these worldviews we see these idols and these false gods you hear about in ancient culture may actually be shrines to demonic entities at least that's what Deuteronomy seems to imply and I think there's something in the New Testament that seems to suggest that as well so there may even be a spiritual nature to false worship uh, that's going on um mm-hmm. But there's an ADHD rabbit trail for you. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Rain them back 
back in, folks. That's so right. What, what, what can we know? What can natural theology tell us about God? So it can tell us that God exists, and it, and it can tell us that Jesus was risen from the dead. In fact, there's a lot it can tell us about. Uh, it, it can it can tell us of God's power. It can tell us that of his uh, of some of the attributes we discussed. Because uh, God would have to be beyond the scope of space and time. This, this, uh, as as David Baggett would call it, uh, the Anselmian God. Uh, the the uh, how is it Anselm put it? Let me see if I can bring it up here. I've got his works up uh, here as well. Um, that which uh, nothing greater could be conceived. Uh, let me see if I can. I think I have it here. Where is it? If I wasn't looking for it, it would pop up right where I wanted it. Um, okay, here we go. And indeed, we believe that that talking, he's praying to God that thou art a being which uh, than which nothing greater can be conceived. He says, therefore, if that which nothing greater can be conceived exists in the understanding alone, that very being than which nothing greater can be conceived is one than which greater can be conceived. But, you know, it's in other words, he's saying that God is the absolute perfection. He is, and this is what natural theology can tell us, that God is above, oh. above and beyond the scope of of this uh, natural world. Oh. Yeah. So, really then, can natural theology speak on the moral aspects of God? This is fascinating. Before I took my my natural theology class with Dr. Campbell, I would have said no. But he and Dr. David Baggett wrote a paper for the philosophy—I uh, can't speak tonight, folks—the Philosophia, Philosophia Christi is the uh, journal for uh, uh, the, uh, the the uh, Evangelical Society of. Uh, uh, Evangelical Philosophical Society, the Philosoph- Philosophia Christi, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. Anyhow, it is uh, it is a uh, he, they wrote an article back in uh, 2013, the Philosophia Christi, Volume 15, Number Two, uh, an article entitled "Omnibenevolence, Moral Apologetics, and What They Call Doubly Ramified Natural Theology." And so they distinguish, and Richard Swanberg does this as well, between what they call bare natural theology, or BNT, and ramified natural theology, RNT. BNT gets us to the general theistic concept of God. Uh, and, and I'm just going to quote, just re- read what he says here. One that can be shared among most all theists. That is, not just any God, so to speak, but a God who is omnipotent, omniscient, and perfectly good. RMT, on the other hand, is an exercise in or a natural extension of BNT, which takes us from a generic theism to a particular religious claims such uh, as Islam or Christianity. Consistent with the pro- this project of RMT, we wish to emphasize the way that moral apologetics on the foundation of natural theological arguments for theism, per se, can extend the case for God's existence by fleshing out distinctly moral aspects of God's nature. So if you can, as moral apologists do, identify that there are objective moral truths, then by using natural theology, you can say that God is the absolute good. 
So you're actually adding on to bare natural theology uh, this ramified natural theology, which can show us uh, with natural theology that God must be, uh, by necessity, the absolute good. So you would say that God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, but that he is also omnibenevolent, all-loving as well. So could that go with just our our natural responses to what we would deem as good and evil? Yeah, in fact, Alvin Plantinga says, in, in his opinion, he believes that the moral argument is uh, probably one of the best apologetic arguments of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's, he's seen a lot of good apologetic arguments, but he deems this as being the, the, the hardest hitting. In fact, William Lane Craig even said, that the immoral argument uh, works best with uh, college students in you know in university settings. I think this because we all have, whether we're Christian or not, we all have a sense of what is good and evil. Right. There are, I mean, yes, different cultures have different ways of viewing things. In fact, there was a uh, one discussion about what about cultures that are cannibals. Uh, they obviously have a different moral set. But oddly enough, when you start observing the way they believe that you should treat people in their own tribe, yeah, they have very right. similar ethical boundaries. Right, uh, it's just outside of their tribe. That's that's what they they'll kill you and eat you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If if you're not one of their tribe, then they may kill you and eat you and serve you as barbecue roast the next day. Right. But uh, <laughs> now with me, they'd have a lot of eating for a good long while. But uh, <laughs> Maybe not that tasty, but you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. I'm sure, but nonetheless, you know, uh, if it's another tribe, if it's if it's a different group of people, then they'll say, yeah, do that. But if it's our tribe, then you need to live according to these different standards. And um, so, even in tribes that have very different beliefs than we do, there are still objective moral standards that are found among their own kin. Right, and I kind of I kind of relate that to that um, we all have this moral beacon in in our lives that that point us. We innately know what's right and what's wrong. It's not it's not uh, some sort of formed contract or or a construct in in amongst people. It's it's something that's intuitively in us. We all know it's there. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Can uh, natural theology teach us about God's personal nature? So most of the questions thus far have been yes. This one is going to be a solid no. Uh, here, here's where the rubber beats the road. Here's where the l- line of demarcation is found. We can know that God exists, and we may have even evidence to suggest that this God is Yahweh of the Old Testament, and that we may we may have suggestions to say that that, you know, all the pointers show that Jesus, you know, is, is a really good man. But to say that he is divine and to say that God is Yahweh and to uh, put the personal faith in this God, that comes more by direct revelation, uh, God revealing certain things to a person. Um, I, I think we can even look at the Word of God and say, you know, we, there are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I mean, I'm a traditionalist. I believe that the church got it right, who, who wrote the Gospels and who wrote the books. Uh, 
But even if you accept that, even if you say John wrote John, Matthew wrote Matthew, Mark is using the information Peter gave him, and Luke is recording, uh, even if he's recording early eyewitness testimony and and writes a a very good, uh, good history on the life of Jesus or biography on the life of Jesus, even if you say all that, it takes divine revelation to reveal that this is the Word of God. Okay, we, we could say, yeah, there are 66 books that comprise the Bible, but to believe that that Bible is the Word of God, it, it takes something special. Now, I believe even our rationality, we can see certain things linking together to say that uh, there's something special about this book. But to say that it's the revelation of God, uh, th- that's something that, that is, is special, a, a communicative nature from God to us. Uh, the convictions we have that Jesus is the Son of God, I think, is the direct revelation. Because if you go back to like when Simon Peter was asked by Jesus, who do men say that I am? And they say all these right. different prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him that this was revealed to you by the Father. And uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this was revealed by the Father. So... Our natural theology can only take us so far. So, and it's like kind of like what I've said, but you know, in 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 times past, natural theology, reason, reason, and rationale can bring us to the gates of heaven, but only divine revelation and only uh, that personal relationship will allow us inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess, I guess you know, when when we start really kind of pressing this or looking at it you you hear um apologists say you know we can we can get so far as you know to know that there's a god we can look at the stars we can look at um just the way processes work that gets us there but we really need to start and and so that that kind of widens the spectrum of we get past the atheist theist uh, debate where where we get into now um, okay we've discovered now there is a God now we just need to start investigating and looking at the evidence that's given to us of, of who is the true God and, and that points us and funnels us down to Jesus from that point absolutely absolutely yeah. but but then and then again to to truly accept that that Jesus is the Christ to 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 make that step of faith that is that is that is divine working in that person's life it's it's almost like there's a spiritual veil and a reason can get us to point and i and i believe the spirit of god is working through apologetics to bring to that point but to have that spiritual veil lifted from a person's eyes I, th- I think that's a working of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, and it, it tells us that tells us in Scripture that that's uh, you know that 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 this that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's going to um, is going to be the one that's going to open their eyes, going to be the one to draw them in and be able to uh, complete um, that spiritual um, understanding or that that revelation that we're talking about. Absolutely. So, does natural theology hold an eschatological view or value? This is fascinating. N.T. Wright wrote a book called History and Eschatology. 
And I don't agree with all of his conclusions. Now, let, let, let me just say that from the outset because he is very... And I don't understand this, Curtis, because there are a lot of theologians these days who are very anti-against uh, anti, the notion of a parousia. Uh, we, we would call it rapture or, or, or parousia, the calling up of the saints uh, to heaven. And he even somewhat seems to suggest... Uh, there, there, he's, he seems to somewhat su- to question even the whole concept of the second coming, if I understood him correctly, uh, which I found fascinating. I, he may hold a he may hold like an amillennial view or something like that nature, uh, but uh, I, I found it interesting. Um, and and I probably need to go back and fine tune my understanding of of him to make sure I understand him correctly, but. Um, but needless to say, there are some areas where I disagree with him, but I, the overall gist of what he has to say I think is very fascinating because he would argue that history is a part of natural theology, that we can see God working in history, especially through Jesus, and even not just through Jesus, but working through the history of, of all of uh, humanity to bring us to this point of a new creation, that there's an end goal in mind, that and and all of nature is part of it, that the end goal is not just to save us from our sins, which is a big part of it, to, to bring us to heaven, which is a big part of it, but it's to recreate the creation itself, because God said it was a good creation. He's working to say it's going to be a perfect creation, and so we see the advent of sin and how it uh, it, it uh, not only impacted the human sphere but also impacted the natural sphere, um, and we see that God is working to develop a perfect creation that will eventually come when Christ returns after the millennial kingdom. We have a new heaven, new earth. Uh, it'll be a perfect creation at that time. Right. Right. And in my mind instantly when when we're talking there goes right to uh, you know the scriptures it says all of creation groans um, groans you know for for it to be returned yeah right uh, you know and everything is sitting um, everything is sitting in earnest expectation of God's of God's return of, of Jesus's um, you know, second coming of of the rightness and the correctness of what the earth and and the world should be, and and it's very fascinating because uh, someone shared with me a video that NASA had taken that in space, in space there are certain wave vibrations that occur as as satellites go through and different spacecraft go through the the, the universe where stars and planets themselves have these vibrations which produce noises. They produce sounds. And it almost makes, well, it does. It makes a, uh, like a song. It's almost as if the universe itself is singing. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. he made that, that similar point that you did, or the same point that you did, that this that creation is groaning for the day when when redemption will be found in creation itself, where God is going to reestablish creation to make it not just good, but to make it perfect. Right. 
and Curtis, you know, I, I, I've got to say, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I'm, I'm writing a book. I, I'm hoping to get back on it, uh, start the, the, the start of next year. I've been working on it a little bit by and by, but on heaven. And this is one thing I'm looking forward to because can you imagine a new creation? What we're told in Isaiah, and some people will say, is this the millennial kingdom or is this new creation? I, I don't think it really matters because you see the wolves lying down with lambs. Right. You see children being able to reach in a hole of an adder uh, or, or a poisonous snake and play with these snakes and not get bitten, not get hurt. Yeah. This is a revolutionary reformation of, uh, of creation itself, and it's coming one day. All of creation, all of history is directing us towards that process, which is why I wrote the article I did. You know, there, there are a lot of questions, and I'm not going to get into the politics because we, Lord knows we've been bombarded by politics left and right. Oh, man. But no matter where you stand on the issue, here's the thing. God is on the throne. Right. He's in control. And he is using these, these issues to... Form, we're already on a trajectory leading to the book of Revelation. We're already on that. He's bringing everything together to bring us to that point in time where he recreates the universe. And friend, the book of Revelation hasn't changed. We're told that things are going to get bad. We should expect it. It's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be marrying and giving in marriage. But what were the days of Noah like? Yeah. Horrible. I mean, the yeah. morality was horrible. Sodom and Gomorrah would be like those days. It's going to be like that. And then Christ is going to come. He's going to redeem the church before, um, you know, before the judgment of God is poured out on the earth. At least in my eschatological view, he will. But even if he doesn't, he's going to preserve the church and, and uh, he's going to recreate the, the heavens and the earth. And it's going to be a great, perfect creation. At that right. point in time, we're all moving to the trajectory. We're on the trajectory where we're moving towards a perfect creation. And so at the end of the day, uh, we can either stress out, and I've seen a lot of Christians doing that, stressing out over what might be, or we can focus on the history that God tells us that will be. Because right. God hadn't changed, and His plans haven't changed. Uh, they just may look a little different than we thought they would. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean the the picture that that was that was in my mind. I heard a pastor one time talk about how um, all all creation is essentially on this stage, and they're and they're and they're on their tippy toes at the edge of the stage. That all creation is is sitting there waiting for for the the curtains to finally open and for for the action to actually be righted and and to be to be. Um, to be made right and to be made pure, and, and so this so this picture being painted to us in Scripture is all of creation knows that this isn't right, that this isn't our home, that that it's that we all are are yearning for the day that that Christ comes back and makes it right. Yeah, and when He does, we're going to have a perfect government. We're going to yeah. have a perfect ruler. We're going to have a perfect society. All this baloney and junk that we have been dealing with the past year, 
We're not going to have to deal with it anymore because if you have a perfect government and you have a perfect ruler, you have God who is the king supreme, uh, then <laughs> what's there to worry about? Can you imagine if there's television in heaven? If there's television in heaven, can you imagine turning on the channel and seeing something good and not being stressed out every time you turn on the television over this <laughs> junk that we see day in and day out? And I just got done having that conversation with the, the guy at work about how it, it's just getting more and more just in our faces, and we and um, it, it's it's becoming to a point where um, they say, "Well, that you just shut the TV off; you don't have to watch it." Well, why should I want to watch TV? Why should I have to shut mine off just so you can have yours on to watch that vile stuff? Yeah, and, and, you know. But you, I, I'm reminded. I, I was, you know, I'm working in hospice chaplaincy right now, and I, I met a wonderful, wonderful lady this past week, and we had church. And brother, I'm gonna tell you, this was a saintly, godly woman. We had church, and she said something to me that really almost brought a tear to my eye. She said, "Cause, cause I asked her if I could pray for her, and she said, don't pray that I get better. Pray that I see Jesus.'" She said, I, I don't want to get better. I want to meet Jesus face to face. I'm ready. I've been ready. I want, I want to go to heaven. And, and <laughs> I was kind of startled by it, to be honest with you. And I was like, I was not expecting that. I mean, I'm telling you what, there have been some blessings I've encountered with, with saints of God. You know, who are, I mean, you talk about having your faith tested. That's a moment of testing that all of us are going to have to go through one of these days. And a lot of these saints of God are are saying, bring it on. I'm ready to see Jesus. I think creation is the same way. Yeah. I think the creation itself is saying, we, it don't, I don't want it to stay this way. I want to see the new creation, the new creation that God has established to be reformed in uh, a perfect status. Right. And, uh, so that's what, and that's what I want to remind everyone about. I mean, I know there's a lot of people discouraged. There may be some people who are excited, depending on what aisle you're on. But here, here's the thing: no matter where you find yourself, understand this: it's all under God's sovereign control. We are told what's coming, and the end game is going to be worth all of the mess we have to endure to get there. And that's what the book of Revelation tells us. In fact, that's what the book of Revelation is all about, quite honestly. The book of Revelation is actually one of the most encouraging books in Scripture because it tells us it tells us the end game. Right. We know we know who wins. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, in that it also doesn't tell us to just sit back on our hands and just let the world go. Uh, you know we're, we're to be active and, and completing tasks within that. And I think that falls in with our last question here. What is the Christian's role in environmentalism? Yeah, and, and let me go back to that because you bring up a good point, but, but something that this is where I think a healthy theology helps us. God doesn't need us. We, we, we live our lives thinking that that God needs us. And I think that's a great lie that Satan has blinded many people on. God did not have to create us. God was perfectly fine without us. God doesn't need us to save a person because God, quite frankly, is saving people overseas 
by um, giving visions and, and doing miracles and bringing people to salvation of his own accord. But he chooses to use us. So he calls us to ministry. He chooses to use us to be his hands and feet. And, and so if you have if you're a child of God listening to this, you have a ministry that God has bestowed upon you. But understand this, God has called you to do the task, leave the results to him. So I, I, I fear that there are many Christians who are getting so obsessed over worldly things that they're forgetting that God is still in control. Yes, as you said, we have a task to do, we have a job to do, and we need to be doing it. And I believe, quite honestly, if I, if I can be blunt, I believe the reason we're in the shape we're in is not because of a political party. It's because the church has failed to be what the church is supposed to be. And, and we're not having that impact on society as we should because we're not being the church that God has called us to be. But let me also say this. God is still sovereign. So what is the Christian's role in environmentalism? If you go back to the book of Genesis, God tells us that we are to uh, be fruitful and, and go out and multiply. He, he tells us we're almost like the gardeners of his creation. If you, if you look back to Adam and Eve's role in the Garden of Eden, and that has continued and so I am not advocating tree-hugging. I'm not advocating any type of radical thing when I say this. But I am saying that we as believers do have the responsibility to care for the creation that God has given us. Um, and I think that is, that is a task we, we have, as many evangelicals, we have, we have failed in that regard because, you know, we've... We've gotten politics involved in it, and and yes, obviously there's a lot of stuff politically involved in it. But I do think that it's our job, our task to uh, to try to care for creation the best we can. Now, obviously, again, it's com- you know completely under God's control, but we have a job to do, and we need to do our part. And so, I think that instead of looking at environmentalism as being something that is a, a radical progressive notion, I think this is something actually we as Believers should should strive to do because it's part of our calling. If you go back to Genesis one to try to care for the creation that God has given us. Now again, that doesn't mean we have to give in to any type of radical type of you know ideology or anything like that. But uh, I, I do think there's a point of contact that we have where we do need to be good stewards with uh, what God has given us. Right. Yeah. We got to be careful to not slingshot from one ditch into the other ditch. By, by the terms of saying, well, then we need to just we need to just uh, um, be 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 sitting here and doing nothing on our hands as far as um, helping out with environmental uh, tasks and things. See, us in the us in the agriculture community, we use that terminology that you just said um, is, is that we're stewards of the land. We, mm-hmm. we understand there's a lot of us here that, that, that are in the ranching community that understand that, that we're here for a purpose. We're here to provide beef and, and, and a good protein source for people to live and grow with. 
Um, but we do that in such a way that we're utilizing ground that typically wouldn't be as productive as what you could grow normal crops on. So, so when you when you hear people saying that you know, well, then we should close close off the forest. There's some ranchers out there that are saying, wait a minute, there's nothing else that's going to go in there to that to that ground and and be able to produce the pounds of, of protein by taking solar energy that's coming that's being refined in that grass that that, that we're going to be able to sustain this many number of people in our world today if we don't get in there and are able to harvest that then we're not going to be able to do that but you'll find a lot of people will say and a lot of the ranchers will say that we're stewards of the land we understand that we're we're here to serve a purpose and we we respect that land we take care of that land because if we don't take care of the land this year next year we won't have that land not in somebody's going to take it away but in the fact that the grass the the natural cycles of the rain cycles and stuff are not going to sustain or maintain that water level in the ground to produce that grass for us so we we have to we we understand when we when we're when you say that word we're stewards we understand that that god's given us this ability to to be able to feed america or feed the feed the world with a sustainable renewable resource and we have to be careful and maintain it absolutely and i think that nails genesis 1 uh, and 1 and 2 i think uh, it, it nails the, the the command we have to be good stewards of the land to 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 tend the land and, and grow. I, absolutely I, I think we i think we have to be responsible with the creation we have and you know curtis as you know as i've mentioned before i'm a stargazer and uh, i have to say even the other night uh, my wife bought me a uh, astro binoculars which allow in a lot more light and are just wonderful to see stars at night. And I was looking in the constellation Orion and, and looked at this uh, uh, this nebula, which which forms thousands of stars each year. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable to see that. But as I look across the creation, there, I don't see another little blue planet like planet Earth out there. Right. So we, we've been given a unique planet in which to live and we need to be taking care of it yeah right yeah and and i think paying attention to the cyclical the cycles of of things the and understanding those things and we've got enough data now um around us to be able to make educated decisions on whether we're going into drought seasons or whether we're coming out of drought seasons and how to you know, manage the world and the processes that are about that. Now, we can be radicalized by by then, um, you know, be, be be actually doing more harm, like what we saw this year. Um, for several several years, the West Coast was told, you know, they were trying to shut down all the logging and shut down all the forestry projects and shut down all the the usefulness of those of those resources and and this year the west coast saw that 
completely evaporate, mm. eviscerate, because because it, it came time where nature, in its natural cycle, that God put into play and process, that it actually took care of itself, where we could have been the one actually capitalizing on that and doing Genesis 1 and 2 and taking care of that that garden, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we could have been taking care of that and using the, the resources properly to take care of our families. Because not only are we a steward of, of the land, but we're stewards of the families and the people that we are put um, in, in charge of or around. And, and if we're not, if, if we're swinging that pendulum so far to either side, we're doing no good to any part of that whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that kind of hits home with me a little bit. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, and, and Curtis, I wanted to ask you as we're winding down on the podcast, you know, you and I have talked off the air quite some time about, and, and maybe we need to just have a, a special podcast on this very issue. As you, as you have gone out in big sky country in Montana, especially early in the mornings, and how have you seen, being in nature as you have, how have you seen evidences of God in creation? Oh, just, just the, the fact every spring, is is new life being born um new life being on the ranch we we're calving new new babies we're, we're having new babies every year from them cows and 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 we're getting to see that first breath and and i'll tell you until somebody spends time with on a ranch or with with a farmer and, and they're out there waiting for that calf that calf comes out hits the ground and that first breath that it takes you know that that first breath is an instinctual thing that that animal gives and you cannot help but say thank you god that is a miracle Mm -hmm. that we just witnessed it's it's this miracle that's been given into a steady repeatable process that we see happen throughout our throughout our, our world, um, the birds, the, the 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 deer that run through the ranch, the the you know the dogs that we have around, you know the the dogs that have a natural um, natural instinct to be able to herd the cattle where they want to go. I mean that stuff doesn't just it, you look at that and you're like that that dog is purpose built. Mm-hmm. I didn't build it. You know, and it didn't happen from some intelligent mud. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that dog is purpose-built. And, and and so just an experience of, of walking in the in the early mornings and you hear the birds and, and, the, and all of those things come together and you just, you, you know, you know that, that there's, that, that you're being shown the glory of God. Amen. As you walk, as you walk out in the morning. So, well, that was been a, this has been a good podcast. It's been uh, good and entertaining, and you know, and it's it's always good to look back at the natural to uh, start focusing in on those things um, on about it. And I know we have some of that stuff uh, as far as articles on on Bellator Christie and 
people can kind of search back and look for some of that stuff. But uh, so we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith. As we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion, and it is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates the Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under creative commons copyright all rights reserved the opening theme is the song crucified written by John and Michaela Limanis performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth.
the Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to True North, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of BellatorChristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.